There's so much health advice out there, lots of different voices and opinions, but who can you trust? Trust the experts, the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them tough, intimate health questions so you get the answers you need. This is the Health Essentials Podcast, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician. Hi, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the Health Essentials Podcast. My name is Molly Schroetz, and I'll be your host. Living organ donation might not be something you think about that often. It might come up in news stories or within your social circles, but do you know what it really means? Today, we're joined by Dr. David Kwan to talk about what living organ donation is, how it works, and how it can impact both the donor and the recipient. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. So just starting right into the whole topic, can you tell us a little bit about organ donation in general and like what a living organ donation is? So uh, in any transplant, there are two different types. There's one that comes from deceased donor liver transplant. There's one that uh, deceased donor transplant, and there's one that is living donor transplant. The deceased donor is uh, what the majority of the transplant is done, uh, and it comes from someone who unfortunately uh, has an event and becomes brain dead. Recently, we have some more what we call a cardiac death donors, which is someone who cannot uh, uh, no, survive more, you know, cannot cannot be healed and will ultimately die. In those cases, we we take the organs from those uh, donors uh, that will pass away, and we use those organs to to, to 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 perform the transplant. The living donor transplant is um, a method of doing transplant where we use the organs from a healthy living person, uh, but we only take part of the organ. So let's say for kidney transplant, we only take one of the kidneys. And for liver transplant, we split the liver and use part of the liver uh, to donate it to the recipient. Uh, And uh, that's how the transplant is being done. That's really fascinating that you can take part of an organ and help use it in someone else. Now, you know, when you watch doctors medical dramas or read the newspaper, you always hear these stories about the long wait for an organ. Um, How long do people typically wait to be matched up with an organ? And how is it kind of helpful to be have the living organ option to cut this wait time down? So it depends on organs. Actually, the wait time for kidneys is uh, a lot longer than, well, I would say in general, it's a lot longer. In kidney, you have to have a good organ, um, uh, histological match, and usually is more than five years of wait, wait list time. In liver transplant, is a little different because in kidney, you have uh, hemodialysis that sustains your life. So you're in hemodialysis where you're on the wait list. However, in liver transplant, if the liver style starts to dysfunction and does not have much function left, actually, depending on how much the liver is damaged, the patient can die within a week or can survive over a year. So the way their liver is allocated uh, within the transplant community is depending on how sick the patient is, 
to give more prior priority. And if you're less sick, you have more room to wait. So you are more put down on the wait list. So if you are, you need a transplant, but your liver is relatively okay, uh, then you, you may have to wait for years to get one. Uh, but if you're really, really sick and you barely have one or two weeks to live with that liver, uh, you're put more in, up front in the, in the wait list and they, you know, they give you more access because they, we understand that if you're not being transplanted within that given time, the likelihood of, for the patient to, to pass is very high. Now, do people typically bounce higher up the list if their condition suddenly worsens? Uh, yes. So depending on how sick the patient is, uh, if it, you know, it becomes really, suddenly becomes really sick, then yes, you, your what we call the MELD score, it's called a, a model of end-stage liver disease. And uh, you have a number that you're given at the given amount of, uh, you know, the, the lab results, you calculate and you put in the equation, then you have a MELD score number. And that's like, uh, gives you like, how sick you are, and with that mouse score, uh, it's, uh, you know, you 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 can understand how much you have to wait. Gotcha. Now, I'm wondering a little bit from the donor side of this, um, what goes into the decision to become a living organ donor? We are not able to to match all the organs that we need for to, for just a brief example for liver transplant. Uh, about one fourth of the patients who need a transplant end up not getting transplanted and end up dying. And so we have that like 25% plus or minus patients that eventually end up dying while waiting for a transplant. And because of that, uh, we need more organs. And the uh, living donor has been a very good uh, method of being able to save those uh, patients uh, you know, instead of waiting in the wait list and just waiting for an organ that you don't know where, when you're going to get. Uh, if you go for living donor liver transplant, you can actually have more earlier access to liver transplant and that saves lives. And it's known that in overall, the living donor liver transplant offers you a better survival chance than deceased donor liver transplant just because you don't have to wait a long time in the wait list. And just the fact that if you're a living donor, you're able to save uh, someone else's life is the biggest motivations for donors to step forward uh, to, to, to donate their organs. Uh, so, you know, you have a whole wide range of, of, of donors that come forward. Um, I would say about half of all living donors are family families or relatives or very close friends uh, that want to that you know someone who's really sick and needs an organ uh, to survive so they step forward to donate but you see you also have a big proportion of donors who are like you know i just want to see if life doesn't matter to who uh, this organ goes to i understand that <clears throat> there are a lot of patients who suffer from terminal liver failure terminal kidney failure uh, so I just want to save life and make someone's life, uh, you know, more livable, uh, live, you know, and they can enjoy their life to the fullest. And just that, you know, that kind heartedness is a lot of things that I commonly found in uh, most donors that I, that I deal with. So talking specifically for a moment about the liver, 
I know you've mentioned a few times about liver donation. Um, can you walk us through kind of the process of how that works for a living liver donation? Uh, yeah. So like in kidney transplant that I said, you know, you have two kidneys. So when you do a living donor kidney transplant, you take one of the kidneys and you donate. Apparently the liver is one big, one big organ that is not like kidney too. So living donor liver transplant <clears throat> entails that you have to uh, transect the liver in two, uh, either left lobe or the right lobe, because the left or the right lobe, they can independently function separately. They have their own inflow of blood flow and their own outflow of blood flow. And just because of this unique character of the liver that can be independently functioning, and also because the liver is uh, capable of regenerating, uh, we can use a part of the liver, we transect, and we give that part of the liver to the recipient. Uh, it's a very complicated surgery, a lot more complicated than kidney transplant because you have to transect the liver. Kidney is just, just take a whole kidney out from one side, whereas the liver you have to transect. And the liver is a very, very heavily vascularized uh, organ uh, with a lot of big vessels, and it also surrounds around the uh, vena cava, which is the largest vein in your in your system. Uh, so you have to navigate around those complex vessels in order to take it out. So it is usually perceived that living donor liver transplant is a little bit more dangerous than the kidney transplant. But recently, with a lot of advances in the technology of you know how to do how to properly do uh, how to better perform the surgery, actually the, the outcome of uh, liver living donation has become almost uh, the same as a kidney donation. That's awesome. And I, I want to dive a bit into those innovations because I understand that there's a laparoscopic-ish um, option here. Can you talk a little bit about the laparoscopic option? Okay, so it's well known that you know keyhole surgery or laparoscopic surgery um, affords you a quicker recovery, uh, less pain, uh, early return to normal life, a better cosmetic outcome, uh, and all of those are really well proven. And we have more than enough evidence from the kidney transplant or from having done uh, liver resections laparoscopically for cancers. So we understand that it's very, very beneficial for the patient. Uh, so uh, recently, uh, this laparoscopic technology has been implemented on the donor uh, to improve the quality of recovery for the donors. Uh, but as I said, uh, the, the surgical technique that requires to do a liver transection is a lot more complex than kidney. And therefore, unfortunately, not many centers are doing it. Uh, I'm just hoping that more centers will be able to, to do it. But because of the innate uh, complexity of the surgery, and also, as I've mentioned, it's surrounded by many large vessels that makes the procedure uh, uh, potentially uh, dangerous if you don't know how to control those uh, bleeding or dissection points in the, around the major vessels. Uh, but again, I said, you know, with this improvement in surgical technology, uh, if we look at our data, actually the data says that the major complication rate or the minor complication rate overall has decreased almost like three times. Uh, the 
the recovery speed is usually twice faster and also the pain medication you take is usually half of the one they usually do for an open case when you do an laparoscopy. That's awesome. I'm curious, what are some of the uh, questions you hear from patients when you tell them about this option? Well, first, uh, you know, many patients don't know there's an option of leaving donor liver transplant. So the first wow is comes from, oh, can you do a living donor liver transplant? I heard a lot about living donor kidney transplant, but I've never heard about liver transplant. And I thought liver was a very dangerous organ, so you don't you, you don't touch the liver. So that's the first that wow. And the second wow that I hear is like, oh, can you do that laparoscopically? I've never heard of it. And you know, it's uh, as I said, not many centers do it. And that's also the reason why many patients don't know that, that such an option exists. So those are the two most frequent wow, wow, that I hear in my clinic. <laughs> One of the most frequent questions that I get from the donors uh, are usually in the post-op uh, two to six weeks follow-up. They always ask, Dr. Kwan, has my liver grown back? And my uh, universal question is, yes, it has grown back. That's the way the liver behaves. The liver, you know, as I said, you split into half. The You have 100 of liver. You split into half. You give, let's say, 40% to the recipient. You have 60% on you. Um, within three months, that 60% becomes more than 80%. And that 40% that went to the recipient becomes more than 80%. And within a year, they both become close to 95%. So, you know, I like to say in living donor, uh, living donation process in liver transplant is by sharing you double the amount of liver volume. And that's how you can save uh, someone else's life. That is really interesting. I did not know that it grew back that quickly. Yes, it does grow back quite, quite quickly. <laughs> and the liver is known to, if you need more of the liver, uh, it grows even faster. If you need less of the liver, you go slower. So it is it is well known that the liver actually grows faster on the recipient than on the donor, because usually the recipient is sicker. There is more work to do on the recipient side. So the liver gets more stimulated. It's like you have to do more work. So that's replicate faster, trying to you know uh, meet the demands that the, that the body is making us do. And I think that's a very fascinating part of the liver, that it learns how to adjust by itself uh, with the amount of uh, you know, detoxification that they need to do, the amount of uh, metabolism, you know, uh, synthesis they need to do is all regulated automatically uh, according to your body size, according to how sick you are, according to how old you are, and so on. Wow. Sounds like it's quite the overachiever there. So I do wonder, I think a lot of people are always curious about, you know, afterwards, right? What life is like after you're both a recipient or donor, um, are you impacted in any way? It sounds like the liver kind of goes into overdrive to kind of like get going there. But can you talk a little bit about the outcomes for both people? Yeah. So, you know, I would like to say, uh, you know, mention a, a story that, that I was indirectly sort of involved in one of my friends. Uh, it was uh, a venture, uh, you know, it was a, a trip 
that kidney donors, kidney recipients, liver don living donors, and liver living recipients, they took a trip to the Himalayas for a hike to above sea level 6,800 meters. I mean, I can't, I barely can do that. So, you know, that, you know, that project was, was done uh, to let people know that whether you're a donor or whether you're a recipient, you can live your life at the fullest. You don't have much issues with your health uh, later in your life. And you can climb up the Himalayas. You know, not many people can climb up the Himalayas, right? So, uh, you know, just that, that fact, you know, tells you that uh, life after, uh, you know, donation uh, from the donor part is also, yeah, it may hurt a bit during the surgery, uh, you know, one or two months, maybe a little bit rough. But after that, for me, let's say majority of the cases I do are laparoscopic and laparoscopic by two months. Most owners are like Dr. Kwan, you know, I just want to start golfing again. I want to do things again. Uh, can I do it? Can I do that? So, you know, they, they, they go back to their own life relatively uh, quickly. And on the recipient side also, as I said, uh, the survival chance for the living donor recipient is higher than the deceased donor uh, uh, transplant because just the fact that, you know, we can schedule the perfect time uh, for the recipient to have the best outcome. And we, we have a truly an astonishing uh, outcome uh, at our clinic. Uh, the outcome is really, it's really good. It's above 95% uh, survival at one year. So that's good. Yeah, this is all really interesting. I, I am curious, you know, about the mental side of it. This can be a very scary topic for people, probably on both sides of it. How do you address those fears and concerns? Uh, no, I said most donors, when they initially decide to be donors, uh, you know, I always tell them, you guys are, you, you know, the donors, you're, you guys are a group of people with extra super large size hearts. You, know? you need to have, most of them are very giving. They have a very giving personality. But I do also understand that it's scary because, you know, when you are told that things can happen during surgery, you may go to a major complication that there are there has been mortality being reported on the donors unfortunately and when you tell them those those things i mean it, it should be scary right but i would say the majority of the donors already understand all of that they come in and when i tell them it's like you know this can happen it's like yeah doc, i know it's okay it's okay i know i understand uh the the uh, the risk associated with the with a with a resection, with a with the donation process, but I still want to save someone's life because I know if I don't do that, someone will be dying uh, within a couple of months or within a couple of years. That person will die if I don't donate. So I just want to, I mean, you know, the sacrifice I do, I think it's worth uh, in in order to save someone's life. And I and I find that that you know that attitude of donors be truly amazing. Uh, and also there is some data that um, the donors on the long-term follow-up, actually what's really interesting is that uh, not all, but uh, more than half of the donors, they become psychologically healthier after they donate. Because just the fact that they save someone's life, 
gives them uh, one more reason to to you know to be proud of themselves, also to be more giving, and to be you know to enjoy life at the fullest. And so I found that very interesting. And that outcome is also in actually in donors, where unfortunately the recipient end up you know dying, even though because of this process, they still feel very very psychologically uh, healthy. It's like, yeah, I mean, we tried our best to save my dad, let's say to save my mom. I tried my best, and uh, end of the day, I mean, if you cannot do it, save her. I mean, that's that's how it is. Uh, but the fact that they tried their best to save someone they love or they someone they care for uh, gives them actually a shield against any other adversary they may meet in their life, and therefore they become actually happier and you know psychologically healthier, which is actually quite interesting uh, you know outcome that a lot of people actually didn't think that would have an effect like that. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have thought of it right out of the gate thinking about living organ donation, but it sounds like quite an impactful thing for both people. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, uh, for me, from a personally, the, uh, the big satisfaction uh, being able to do this process laparoscopically uh, has been really big because one of the reasons why I went into this uh, new adventure, should I say, or new endeavor about going for laparoscopic application, living donor liver uh, uh, surgery, because I know it's technically very difficult. It's really stressful. Like the first case that I did back in 2013 took me 11 hours. Uh, nowadays, it takes less than six, five hours. But, you know, you want to do it open, it just takes me about five hours to do. You don't want to go doing that for 11 hours, right? But I knew that once this, a lot of these obstacles will be overcome, uh, because I could see the benefit in my cancer cases that I did, uh, how the patients benefit from this laparoscopic approach. And uh, when this, uh, should I say, the the program for laparoscopic living donor was like perfection so that the complication rate was better than the outcome of the donors. The satisfaction that you see on the, on the donors is uh, truly, truly gratifying and truly amazing. And I'm so glad that I, that I started this kind of process because uh, I said, you know, the donors are people with great heart, with big hearts that are so giving, so selfless. And as a surgeon, I just wanted to give the best that I have to a group of people who are so giving and so, you know, so nice. So that for me, this laparoscopic living on a, pro, uh, on a program has been really, really uh, gratifying from a personal standpoint. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, as we wrap up here today, you've mentioned a lot about you know, kind of future state and looking forward here. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're hoping for the next five to 10 years for these types of surgeries? Well, I am hoping that more and more surgeons will be able to do this. I don't want to be one of the only few that is able to do this. I cannot take all the living donors in the U.S. alone. So I'm in the process of trying to uh, share all of my knowledge that I have uh, in order that more surgeons could do. And at least personally, I have, you know, I, I hope that in within five and 10 years, 
that living donor uh, liver transplant that it would be something like kidney transplant. Like in kidney transplant, I would say more than 90 to 95% of all kidney donations are done laparoscopically. And uh, now for liver transplant, it's barely 5%. Uh, so I'm hoping that more and more centers will be able to uh, be able to offer this minimum invasive approach for living donations. And therefore, uh, more patients, more donors can uh, share the, the good experience of the donations with less pain and you know, make the recovery a little bit easier. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you so much, Molly. It's it great talking with you. To learn more about living donation, visit clevelandclinic.org slash living donation. Thank you for listening to Health Essentials, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and Cleveland Clinic Children's. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit clevelandclinic.org slash HEPodcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest health tips, news, and information.